Today on Blue 58, the Packers traveled to Minnesota, dug themselves a big hole, and then couldn't climb out in time to knock off a really good Vikings team. There are so many ways this game could have gone differently, but the Packers couldn't take advantage of any of them. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Correction right off the bat. The Packers did not play at Lambeau Field this week, and you may have gotten that impression from the preview show, because that's why I said they were playing. Sorry about that. Hope you didn't show up to the wrong stadium, though it kind of looked like the Packers did there for a little bit. We'll make sure get stuff like that right in the future. Sometimes when I get dialed in on something, I make easy mistakes. You want to do things a certain way, you get really focused on one part of the process, one part of the thing you're working on, and you make mistakes as a result. That, combined with the way the Packers game went today, reminds me of something that happened to me in high school. Uh, I played a lot of sports in high school, not to brag, you know, that time in your life when you can just sign up for anything. Um, But I took high school basketball really seriously. And my senior year, there was a rivalry game on the schedule that I was super jacked about. Um, Always a big deal to play one of your close rivals. And this one, it was in our same city. Uh, Just a short trip across town from where our school was. Pretty heated. Uh, had a lot of good games against them. So this particular game, I was super, super excited. All day long dialed in. There was a certain outfit I like to wear on game days. Um, big game, game day. So I, I had that on. I was all dialed in for this game. Before the games in high school, after school, we'd always get together, have a team meal or whatever. Then we we drove over to wherever we were playing together. Or not together, but like in a convoy or whatever. So we'd get there at the same time. And this particular game, I had to like stop at home and get something, but then I was off to the gym for the game uh, to see the JV game. Then we'd have the varsity game or whatever. Pulling into the parking lot for the game, something felt off. And the, the weird thing was there was no one else in the parking lot at our gym when I got there. And that's because I quickly realized the game was actually a road game. Had to drive across town, hook up with the other guys at the at the gym where we were supposed to be playing you know shook it off no big deal it happens i guess just really focused on the game went to the wrong place but first trip down shot a mid-range jumper from the short corner right side traditional play for me air ball and the rest of the game kind of went that way the rest of the team kind of turned it around we had a good game we ended up winning i think it's really not the point of the story but even though I'm not really trying to connect my mistake to the Packers, it kind of feels like that's how things went down today. Because the Packers dug themselves a hole against a good team that wouldn't let them dig out. Or at least, not all the way out. In our preview, our path to victory for the Vikings boiled down to them just being able to execute and execute and execute. They've got a bunch of high-end skill position guys. They've got a quarterback whose whole MO is don't screw it up take what's there. And that's what they did. The Packers allowed the Vikings to just take what was there again and again and again, working their way down the field, taking big shots when they were available, running against light boxes when they were available. And that's what they did. And on offense, at least, the Packers didn't decide to do what they needed to do to keep pace until it was too late. They tried to play offense one way and it didn't work. And by the time they adjusted, the hole was too deep. And ultimately, the Vikings still just needed one possession to win. And they did. And of course, the Packers did all they could to help them. 
a number of dropped and missed interceptions. There was a personal foul on at least one, which, though we may not like it, by rule it is a foul. It's a bad rule. It's a dumb rule. It's contrary to good football, I think, but it is the rule, and it's been the rule for a long time, and it isn't going to change. So the Packers lost. And can you sit there and say the Packers should have won this game? Sure. But the Vikings left some points out there, too. Bashad Breeland dropped a pick, too. The Packers lost because the Vikings were better today. And they won accordingly. Let's talk about some good things, though. We always talk about some good stuff that happened in a given game, and there was some good stuff here. Uh, Second-half offense, in particular, I think was was a real highlight today. The Packers scored a touchdown on all three of their second-half possessions. Counting non-kneel-down possessions, they scored on their last four. They scored their last real drive before halftime, and then all three in the second half. 28 points, and it didn't matter. That's how big the hole was. Scoring, not the least of the excitement, though. Their drives in the second half were explosive, at least four explosive plays, one per drive on average. Probably more don't have the, the complete charting data in front of me, but according to my but his handwritten notes during the game, at least four explosive plays in the second half. He's also creative. He had the, the great option play from Randall Cobb, which I want to talk about a little bit later on. Equinemius St. Brown getting involved in an interesting way. The traditional stuff working a little bit better. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling's deep shot was a thing of beauty. It was almost the exact same thing as when he scored a, a big touchdown on that deep ball against the Chicago Bears in Chicago last year. Uh, he's the, the inside man on trips to the right side. Ends up with a favorable matchup. Aaron Rodgers finds him deep. Just gorgeous stuff. And on top of all that stuff, the offense in the second half was fast. Lots of getting the ball out quickly. The stuff you love to see. And you really wish they could get to that kind of game quicker in the future because it worked against the Chiefs in the second half. It worked here against the Vikings in the second half. I wish Aaron Rodgers was a little less resistant to playing that way. He wants to do the play action, find the deep shots, and that stuff is there within the structure of the offense. Just play the quick game. Let the other stuff develop. Don't force the other stuff. Good luck changing his mind here in, what, year 17? A.J. Dillon, I thought also a a real bright spot today. 4.82 yards per carry on 11 carries. Six catches, 44 yards. Just doing whatever the Packers asked him to do. Should the Packers have run the ball more? Maybe. Maybe early. But when the passing game was clicking, it was really humming. Aaron Rodgers, even when things were not going super well, early in the second half, was still averaging almost nine yards or more than nine yards per attempt. Even Dylan on his best days, not going to get half that. Well, he's a little bit more than half that. I guess 4.82 is more than a half of nine. You get it. Um, but it, it's just twice as efficient as even a good running back. Even when the, the offense, the pass game bogged down, it's probably more a function of calling bad passes or making bad decisions in the, in the passing game than anything. The pass was there. So I don't know if they really needed to run Dylan more, but it was impressive how well he did when they did run. Finally, Preston Smith, two sacks today, his first multi-sack game since week 10 of the 2019 season. That was against the Carolina Panthers. Very cold, snowy day at Lambeau Field. Now up to five sacks for Preston on the season. He is having a certifiable certifiable bounce back year. But the bad stuff. Usually I limit it to just three things, but kind of got a litany today. So let's just dive right into that. Uh, On defense, can't limit it just to the overall defense. couple 
a handful of things here. First, the plan for Justin Jefferson. We've talked about, uh, we talked about, I guess, at, at length during the Mike Pettin era, how he seemed consistently or his defenses seemed to be consistently surprised by the obvious. I don't think that was the case here. It seemed like the Packers did have a plan for Justin Jefferson, but the plan was stupid. They seemed to be content to just shadow him anytime he went inside or over the middle with Henry Black. That seems like a bad idea. And Black lost him in coverage a couple other times too, even on more traditional plays. Just did not seem like a sound plan to take out their probably their best receiver right now. I don't know if you want to quibble between him and and, and uh, Thielen there. A really, really good receiver, let's just say that. Didn't seem like a very sound plan. Also have issue with the pass rush outside of Preston Smith and Kenny Clark. Smith comes with a little bit of an asterisk, I think, in this game. He was great, but it didn't feel like he was consistently getting pressures. His sacks felt kind of like the only ones. Kenny Clark, meanwhile, only so much one man can do. He was destroying their interior offensive line, but just couldn't finish against uh, against Cousins for whatever reason. Someone working in tandem with him is probably the best way to go. Got to clean up those pressures when he get when a guy like Cousins gets flushed. Rashawn Gary being there to clean up Kenny Clark's work would have been great. Probably a multi-sack day for Rashawn Gary today, and I think if he's on the field today, more than anything else, having Rashawn Gary out there probably wins the game for the Packers. Missed opportunities on defense. Just numerous ones to make a play on the ball. Just going for naught. We've talked about this a couple times this year. Eric Stokes consistently gets lost when the ball is in the air. Just not great ball skills. And that was a knock on him coming out of Georgia. It's fixable, but it's not there right now. Uh, Darnell Savage coming away with an interception a couple times, but ultimately failing too. Uh, getting burned on the, the deep DPI there. Not a, not a great call, but you know they're going to call that every time too. Just unfortunate missed opportunities there for the Packers in the secondary. Savage, we should note, now has had three interceptions on the year wiped away by the officials. Uh, two of them on roughing penalties and the one on review. Uh, just uh, just a little bit snake-bitten there. Though he is making plays on the ball, just plays on the ball that are taken away by circumstances outside of his control. Another bad thing in this game. First half hero Aaron Rodgers. Uh, too much hero ball. Uh, once he seemingly started running the actual offense, things worked. When he wasn't playing within the, the bounds of the offense, it didn't. It's really just that simple. You can still show us how great you are Aaron, when you run the actual offense, I wish that it would work that way. I know he likes the offense. He's talked again and again and again about the great relationship he has with Lafleur and how much he believes in the offense. I just wish we would consistently see that on the field. Just seems determined to try to do things his way. And um, boy, it just does not work. It reminds me of a Winston Churchill quote. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not. I don't have time to look it up mid-recording. But he talked about uh, the Americans getting involved in, in world wars. And he said, yeah, you know, you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. You can always count on Aaron Rodgers to make things work with this Lafleur offense after he's tried everything else. Special teams. How have we gotten this far without talking about special teams? Truly a three-phase loss as the Packers missed another field goal today. There have been many times throughout the season where you could blame the bad snap or a bad snap or a bad hold 
on a miss. That did not seem to be the case today. Uh, the, the snap and hold looked good on his missed field goal, and it's close enough in that that almost shouldn't make that much difference. He did make the 54-yarder. That's impressive. But a much closer kick went directly off the upright, a very satisfying thunk. Um, while it would have been satisfying if it wasn't you know, the Packers missing three points, where could three points have come in handy, I wonder? Um, but just really a bad, another bad effort for the Packers special teams. And Crosby, to me, looks like he has the yips at this point. It's almost like he's expecting things to go badly and he's pressing as a result. And to be honest, that is completely fair. Given what the Packers' uh, kick battery has gone through this year, expecting things to go poorly kind of makes sense. It's just that things have continued to go poorly and it's got to get straightened out or it's going to cost the Packers in the playoffs. Finally, among the bad things, Elton Jenkins. Cascading issues here. Obviously a terrible, terrible thing for a great young player, great young guy, but it causes multiple issues beyond just the loss of a phenomenal offensive lineman. So the idea basically was that David Bakhtiari comes back and everybody else basically takes a step to the right on the offensive line. Elton Jenkins moves to left guard, Lucas Patrick stays at center, and John Runyon moves to right guard. Then you've got Billy Turner out at right tackle where he's been pretty solid this year, except for this week, kind of. you got to get Royce Newman off the field somehow. And David Bakhtiari coming back gave the Packers a common sense way to do that while also upgrading at least one other position. But now if David Bakhtiari comes back, it's a one-to-one substitution. Bakhtiari for Jenkins. Doesn't solve any other problems. But if Bakhtiari doesn't come back this week, and we've got to wait until after the bye, you're looking pretty rough. Having Yash Nyman at left tackle is sustainable by itself. But man, it is getting sparse out there. Another solution, just kind of related to this, to get Newman off the field would involve Dennis Kelly. Remember him getting on the field at right tackle and putting Turner at right guard. They have had opportunities this year to play Kelly, and they've just not done it. If they're thinking of him exclusively as a right tackle, now might be the time. Because Kelly might be a step down from Turner, but is he a worse right tackle than Royce Newman is a right guard? At this point, it almost behooves you to try just on the outside chance that he isn't worse than Newman, that he doesn't make your offensive line worse than Newman, especially if the Packers are going to be without Bakhtiari and Jenkins for some time. You've got to do whatever you can to upgrade the other spots on the offensive line while Yash Nyman tries to figure things out at tackle. And to be fair, Nyman was pretty good at tackle early this season when he had to play. It's just you'd rather have David Bakhtiari or Elton Jenkins. Them's the breaks. Or as this case may be, the tears or the sprains. Morbid joke, John. What does it mean? The Packers are still up a bunch in the NFC North. So in the grand scheme of the NFC North race, this is probably not that big a concern unless the Packers go into utter freefall here down the stretch. The bigger problem here is losing ground in the race for the one seed. Any falter really makes it tough, especially when you're playing another contender next week in the Los Angeles Rams. On top of that, theoretically, say the Packers end up as the second or third seed. Say the Vikings make the playoffs as a six or a seven. 
really want to play them again a third time. But ultimately, right now, short term, the biggest thing it, it involved here is that the Packers have to make another adjustment to their offensive line. And boy, I bet Matt LaFleur and Adam Stenovich are tired of having to figure that out this season. Up next, we've got the Los Angeles Rams coming to Lambeau Field. It is an afternoon kick. All of those things are 100% true. The opponent, the location, the time. Just made sure to get all of those things right this time around. I do wonder if this game gets flexed. Fox is probably going to protect that this is a pretty marquee game. But you never know. I wouldn't mind seeing this in prime time, even if things could get a little bit ugly for the Packers, just because it's been a while since we've had a, a weekend primetime game. Thursday night football doesn't count. You know that's going to screw up your entire week and kind of weekend too. But man, uh, could be rough if the Packers are trying to figure out their offensive line yet again, heading into a matchup against a team with a really good good pass rush. Aaron Donald probably licking his chops over the opportunity to go head-to-head with Royce Newman. I would, too, if I was Aaron Donald. Clearing out the notebook, um, that play where Randall Cobb ran that speed option with uh, A.J. Dillon just about had me jumping off the couch cheering. He motions into the backfield as an up-back or fullback in an offset eye, little fullback belly option to the left. And as I'm seeing it unfold, I'm like, what are you doing? But then he pitches it to A.J. Dillon, just gorgeous stuff, pitching it going to the left because, as you know, Randall Cobb is left-handed. You think that went into the play design? You bet it did. The false start on Lucas Patrick in the first quarter was absolute nonsense. Of course, we can't get out of a game without talking about the officials. That is just our lot in life. The call there is that he snapped his head up too fast, simulating the snap. I warned you, says Sean Hockley on a hot mic. Okay. Well, if that was a penalty and he was doing stuff earlier that resulted in a warning, penalize it then. If it wasn't a penalty then, don't call the same thing later on, especially since they never called it throughout the rest of the game. There was really no significant change. It just comes across like an ego trip thing. I warned you, now I'm going to call a penalty to teach you a lesson. No, the refs are there to officiate the game, not teach people lessons. Consistent penalty calls are my number one request from NFL officials, and we are just never going to get there. I just want down-in, down-out consistency and drive-to-drive consistency, consistency within the game. It's never going to happen. I'm asking for something that cannot exist. It's just never going to happen. Oh, well. The Packers ended up in a lot of bad third downs early, and this is where I think where the argument about running the ball a little bit more has some merit. The Packers passed early, made some bad decisions, ended up in bad third downs. How bad? Well, they faced a third and eight or more five times in their first four drives, and they only converted one of them on a great uh, shot, semi-shot play to uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But those early third downs really put the Packers behind the eight ball, and they just could not dig out. On that shot play to MVS there on that conversion, Josiah DeGuara made one of two really big plays on the day. You remember how everybody got super excited about uh, Robert Tunyon erasing Nick Bosa uh, way back in, what, week three, whenever that was they played the 49ers? DeGuara had a similar block on Everson Griffin on that conversion to MVS. Great block, but not even his best play of the day. His first career touchdown, a thing of beauty. Scramble drill, working his way open in the end zone, making a nice high point catch from Aaron Rodgers. 
that should go a ways towards assuaging some hurt feelings between the two there. Hope we can get Degora clicking this the remainder of this year because they could use another playmaker on offense. They could use a tight end um, who can play, I guess, consistently. In terms of scheme stuff, early on it seemed like the Packers were pretty reluctant to go under center, and I think that was probably because of Aaron Rodgers' toe. Uh, down the stretch in 2014 when Aaron Rodgers was battling a calf injury, uh, the Packers countered his um, shotgun or I guess his under center stuff uh, by just switching to pistol, kind of gave them the opportunity to simulate being under center a little bit. The the Packers today went under center a lot more later after some halftime probably painkillers or work of some kind, I would guess. It's worth watching going forward uh, as Rodgers continues to battle this toe injury, which he says is fairly severe. Um, Just going to be interesting to see how the Packers counter that uh, because they don't want to run their offense out of shotgun. Uh, Finally, I thought it was interesting how Dalvin Cook didn't have a huge game, 22 carries, 86 yards on the ground. But the Vikings seemed to be very conscious of when the Packers were in their light personnel and made them pay. Good example of this is the Vikings' first drive of the second quarter. Cook got the ball a lot. A a particular play that stood out was a second and 10 where the Packers came out in a relatively light front. And the Vikings went inside zone and Cook converted a second and 10. Uh, They ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive to go up 23 to 10. And that really cemented the fact that the Packers were going to have too deep a hole to dig out of. Uh, But the Vikings, credit to them, they did a great job of making the Packers pay with their play calling. And uh, we talked about that a little bit in the preview. The Packers really hadn't faced a team that was willing or able to try to take advantage of the Packers' defensive personnel. But the Vikings could, and the Vikings did. And that's how you end up on the wrong side of a 34-31 to score. So I've got for you in this episode. Appreciate you listening in. Hope you are off to a great start in your week whenever you're listening to this. If you enjoyed this show, you enjoyed a little commiseration together, appreciate it if you'd share it with somebody you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show. It's going to help us continue to grow. And it's going to get more people involved in the conversation you, I, and everybody else is having around the Green Bay Packers, which is going to help all of us, me included, Become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.